welcome to My Favorite Theorem. I'm your host, Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer based in Salt Lake City, but I'm currently recording in Chicago at the Mathematical Association of America's annual summer meeting, Math Fest. Um, because I am on location here, I am not joined by our co-host, Kevin Knudsen, um, but I'm very honored to be in the same room as today's guest, Dusa McDuff. I'm very grateful she took the time to talk with me today because she's pretty busy at this meeting. Uh, she's been giving the Hendrick Lecture Series and organizing some research talk sessions. So um, I'm very grateful that she can be here. So the introductions at this talk have been uh, very long and full of honors and accomplishments. Um, and I'm not going to try to go through all of that, but maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, I'm British originally. I grew up in London. Uh, oh, sorry, I was born in London and grew up in Edinburgh, where I spent the first 20 years or so of my life. I was an undergraduate at Edinburgh, and then I went to graduate study in Cambridge, where um, I was working in some very specialized area, but I happened to go to Moscow in my third year of graduate study and study with a brilliant mathematician called Gelfand who opened my eyes to lots of interesting kind of mathematics. And when I came back, he advised that I become a topologist, so I tried to become a topologist. So that's more what I've been doing recently, gradually moving my area of study. And now I study something called symplectic topology or symplectic geometry, which is a study of space with a particular structure on it which comes out of physics called a symplectic structure. Okay, and what is your favorite theorem? Well, my favorite theorem at the moment has got to do with symplectic geometry and it's called the non-squeezing theorem. And this is a theorem that was discovered in the mid-80s by a brilliant mathematician called Gromov who um, was trying to understand if a symplectic structure is a strange structure you can put on space that really groups coordinates in pairs. You take two coordinates, x1, y1, you take another co two coordinates, x2, y2, and you measure an area with respect to the first pair, an area with respect to the second pair, and add them. Yeah. You get this very strange measurement, say, in four-dimensional space. And then the question is, what are you actually measuring? And the way to understand that is to try and see it visually. And he tried to explore it visually by saying, well, let's take a round ball in four-dimensional space. Let's move it so we preserve this strange structure and see what we end up with. You know, can we end up with arbitrary curly shapes or what happens? And one thing you do know is you have to preserve volume, but apart from that, nothing else was known. So his non-squeezing theorem said that if you took a round ball that say all the radii were one in every direction, it's not possible to move it so that in two directions the radii are less than one and, and in the other directions it's arbitrary, as big as you want. So you can't, and the, the two directions where you're trying to squeeze are these paired directions. It's saying you can't move it in such a way. Now mm -hmm. I've always liked the theorem because it, for one thing it's very important. It sort of characterizes the structure in a way that's very surprising. Um, and for another thing, it's so concrete. It's just about shapes in four dimensions. Well, mm -hmm. now, four dimensions is not so easy to understand. No, not for me, at and least. <laughs> thinking in four dimensions is tricky. And I've spent many, many years trying to understand how you might think about moving things in four dimensions. Mm -hmm. Because you can't 
do that. Yeah, well, and to back up a little bit, um, when you say a round ball, are you talking about a two-dimensional ball that's embedded in four-dimensional space or a four-dimensional ball? I'm talking about a four-dimensional okay. ball. So it's, it's, it's got a radius one in all directions. You take a center point, you move, direct, you move a distance one in every direction, that gives you a four-dimensional shape whose boundary mm -hmm. is a three-dimensional sphere, in fact. Right, okay. And then you're trying to move that and trying to see how, preserving this rather strange structure and trying to see what, what happens. Yeah, so this, this is saying that the, the round ball is very rigid in, in some it's way. It's very it, round and rigid and yeah. you can't squeeze it in two, I mean, you can't squeeze it in these two related directions. Right, at, at least to preserve the symplectic to structure. Preserve of, the symplectic of course, structure, you right. can do this and preserve the volume and so. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So right. this is saying that symplectic structures are different intrinsically different yeah. from, in a very in a very um sort of direct way mm -hmm. yeah and i remember one of the pictures in your talk kind of shows this symplectic idea where um you know you're basically projecting some four-dimensional thing into onto two different two-dimensional axes and it does seem like a very strange way to get a volume on something. Um, it's a strange measurement, but why you have that is, why, why are you interested in two directions? It's because they're related. This structure came from physics, sort of elementary physics, and you're looking at the movement, say, of, of particles or the sun or the earth around the sun, and each particle has got a position coordinate and a velocity coordinate. And so it's a pairing of position and velocity in for each degree of freedom that gives you this measurement. Okay. Yeah, and some, somehow this is actually a sensible thing to do, I somehow guess. Somehow it's a very sensible thing to do, and people have used the idea that the symplectic form is fundamental in order to calculate trajectories, say, of rockets flying off. You want to send a probe to Mars. You want to calculate what happens. You want to have accurate numerical approximations. Well, if you make your numerical approximations um, preserve the symplectic underlying symplectic structure, they just do much better than if you just take other approximation methods. Okay. That was another talk. I actually, I, it was a fascinating talk at this year's Math Fest telling us about this. Okay. Um, showing, you know, even if you're trying to approximate something simple like a pendulum, standard methods don't do it very well. If you use these other methods, they, do it much better. Oh, wow, that's really interesting. So when did you first learn about the non-squeezing theorem? Well, I learned about it, um, when it essentially when it was discovered in mid-1980s. Okay. And I happened to be thinking about some other problem, but needed, I needed to move these balls around in, in, um, in preserving the symplectic structure. And it was just, you know, I was just realized that there was a question and... I couldn't necessarily do this when Gromov showed that, in fact, one really could not do this, that there's strict limits. So I've always been interested in questions, you know, there are many other questions coming from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another part of this podcast is that we like to ask our guests to pair their theorem with another delight in life, a food, beverage, piece of art or music. So... What have you chosen to pair with the non-squeezing theorem? Well, you asked me this, and I decided I'd pair it with an avocado, because I like avocados, and they have a sort of round, 
pretty spherical sort of big seed in the middle. Mm -hmm. So the seed is sort of inside the avocado, which surrounds it, right? Okay. Yeah, I like that. Well, and the the seed can't be squeezed into too right. small a right. The seed is thick and fat, right? Yeah, well, I like that. Yeah, yeah. The the avocado's seed cannot be squeezed. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk. Is there anything else you would like to say about the non-squeezing theorem? Only that it's a, an amazing theorem. That it really is sort of underlies the whole of symplectic geometry and as it, you know it's led to many many interesting questions it mm -hmm. seems to be a very um, simple minded thing but if you you can you can it means that you can define what it means to preserve a symplectic structure without using derivatives which means you can understand you can try and understand much more general kinds of motions which are not differentiable mm -hmm. that preserves a symplectic structure and that's a very little understood area that people are trying to explore. You know, what's the difference between having a derivative and not having a derivative? Yeah. It's a sort of geometric thing, you know, and, and you actually see surprising differences. So that's amazing to me. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting aspect to this that I hadn't thought about. Um, I know in, in the talk that you gave today, you kind of, the, the ball can't be squeezed, but these ellipsoids sometimes can. Right. And so there's this really interesting difference also then between the ellipsoids and the ball. Right. Um, right. And that's so so you, you have to think that somehow an ellipsoid, which is like a ball but one direction is stretched, it's got certain planes. There are certain discrete things you can do. You can sort of slice it and then, then fold it along that slice. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a discrete operation. Mm -hmm. somehow and that gives you these amazing results about yeah. embedding ellipsoids. Yeah and that's that's another very fascinating aspect to it. Uh, you I'm sure don't remember this but um, we actually met nine years ago when I was at the um, Institute for Advanced Studies uh, summer program for women in math. I'm pretty sure you don't remember because I was too shy to <laughs> actually introduce myself but I remember you gave um, a series of lectures there about symplectic geometry, and I, I studied something. Uh, I studied Teichmuller theory, something pretty far away from that, um, and so I w didn't know if I was going to be interested in those. And I remember that you really got me very interested well, in uh, <laughs> in yeah. doing that, which you know, many years ago. And so I was really excited when I saw that you were here, and I'd be able to not be quite so shy this <laughs> this right. year, and, yes. and actually uh, get to talk to yeah. you. Well, one that's on one. the thing: overcoming shyness. I used to be very shy; didn't talk to people at all. But <laughs> now I'm just I'm too old now. I'm just. <laughs> given it all up. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, being on this podcast and hope you have a good rest of MathFest. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lane. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chang Lin. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinnison.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. 
The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>